All right, welcome everyone back to the Space But Messier podcast. I'm too excited to do the normal intro and everything like that. I have such an incredible guest with me today. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is obviously, you do know if you're listening, this is the first podcast episode in a while. And I've spent a lot of my time on TikTok of all places, a little unexpectedly this year past 2020. But another person on TikTok who has grown very much alongside me, um, but who is actually working in the space industry. She's actually an astrophysicist herself, and she is so great. And her videos are so amazing and um, entertaining and educational. She agreed to come on to the show today, and that is Kirsten Banks. And I'm so excited. So Kirsten, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'll tell you what, like when you're saying all that, like just my, my face just couldn't stop smiling. <laughs> Oh man, but hasn't it been fun? Like, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of negativity on that app. And I don't know. I feel like you and I are in the same corner of just like, shut up and just like post positive stuff and stuff like that. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Like so. this, this TikTok is such a hit and miss for fun, exciting content versus really harsh comments that a lot of like creators and big creators get. And it's just yeah. like, let's just have some fun and talk about space. Like you can't, you can't be mad at space. You wouldn't exist if space didn't exist. So what, what's what's so bad about space content? That's true. That's true. And for those of you who are not on TikTok, this is not an endorsement. You don't need to be on TikTok. Um, it's, a, it's mainly for entertainment. And uh, Kirsten and I are in the wrong. We're there for the wrong reasons, but we're trying to switch it oh, yeah. to a more wholesome educational <laughs> platform. Absolutely. Um, so, okay. So I started posting in March. And when did you actually get on TikTok, Kirsten? Uh, Mid-January. So almost oh, cool. a year exactly now. Wow. Um, okay, well, I guess I'll just tell everyone what the, we're going to do this episode. I didn't really uh, preface that at all. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> Kirsten is an astrophysicist, and that's what she does by day and by night. Uh, actually, all day and all night sometimes. <laughs> and so this episode is called Ask an Astrophysicist, where basically... We're just going to find out more about Kirsten, her job, more about her, how she came into that job, some of the things she loves about it, and just kind of just kind of chat for a little bit. So once again, Kirsten, thank you so much for being here, and I'm excited to dive in. Me too. Cool. Okay, well, as promised with Space But Messier, we've got some current events, but I'm going to make them short, and then we're going to dive right back in to chat with Kirsten. A couple things real quick for you guys. So there has been a new law in the United States invoked finally protecting the historic sites on the moon. So the United States has now enacted the first legislation that requires American companies and other private entities working with NASA on new missions um, to avoid disturbing the U.S. hardware that was left there 50 years ago. And it's called the One Small Step to Protect Human Heritage in Space Act. Um, and it became law. it became law on December 31st. Now, something that's cool is it doesn't need preserving if nobody's there, right? You've, you've heard that um, if you, you know, the footsteps on Mars will be there for, or on the moon will be there for how many hundreds of thousands of years or something like that. So, um, you know, people are going to start going there very soon. And so this law was pretty exciting and pretty cool. The next one that I'm going to just glance over is that Elon Musk, if you haven't heard, is now the richest man in the world because his... Uh, car company stock rose and he beat out Jeff Bezos if there if it is such a competition and to prove that he is serious about getting humans to the Mars humans to Mars he wants to get I think a million people to Mars on a SpaceX spacecraft by 2050 2050 um, and today he announced that he is selling all his possessions to put all of his money into SpaceX and to show that he's serious. So 2050 is the year he thinks he's going to do it. Um, and the last one, which I thought was pretty cool. I know we've heard of Axiom Space before, but Axiom Space, which is co-founded by uh, NASA's former ISS manager. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's Michael Sufredini, I believe. Um, they're planning to launch the first segment of a new commercial space station, and it's actually going to double as a space hotel. 
So they hope to have it. It's called the Axe Station. They hope to have it built as soon as 2028. And it's actually going to start attached to the ISS. They're going to bring a couple units up there over the next five years. And then once the ISS is retired, they're actually going to separate it and attach it to their own space station. And it's going to have an observatory. It's going to have a laboratory and a space hotel. Um, this is happening this decade, apparently. Um, I mean, space missions are notably late and pushed, like our precious James Webb Space Telescope. But uh, it, it is coming. That's pretty cool. But anyway, that's all I got for you guys today. We um, are going to keep it space related today. Obviously, it's a very hard week in America right now. But the only thing I'm going to say about that is that our thoughts and prayers here are going out to all the people that were negatively affected. So, um, but we're going to keep it focused. I don't think, I think people maybe are listening to this podcast. They don't have to listen to any of that stuff. Um, okay. Well, I guess I'll just dive right in. Kirsten, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, where to start? Well, <laughs> well first of all, you're not, a... <laughs> you're not American. So we could start there. <laughs> That's a good point. Actually, it's a good place to start. So I am, uh, Australian. I'm born in Australia. Uh, also have uh, Indigenous heritage in my family. So I'm oh, Aboriginal, cool. very proud Wiradjuri woman. So for those who may not know a lot about Australian geography, um, you've got the east coast of Australia where Sydney is, and that state is in New South Wales, which is about the same size as Texas, I believe. And Wiradjuri country is kind of like very much bang centre of New South Wales. So it's a very desert area, uh, but freshwater, freshwater country. Whoa. So that's where my family comes from. And wow. there's a huge connection to the night sky out there, which is just amazing. And all across Australia too. So that's kind of like a TLDR part of my uh, my history where I've been born and, and all that jazz. Um, but I've had a passion for the sky since I was three or four years old. Whoa. Cool. It's, it's been a long time, but it wasn't always the night sky for me. I actually was, I actually wanted to be a meteorologist when I was in kindergarten. So the first, very first year of schooling, I wanted oh to be gosh. a meteorologist. I know, right? <laughs> I like what four-year-old, right? What four-year-old <laughs> knows that word? So I'm in class and the teacher to sort of sit around in a circle and say what we want to be when we grow up. And the girls say they want to be a vet or a ballerina and, and the boys say they want to be astronauts or firemen. Although one boy did say he wanted to be a fire truck. <laughs> it was interesting. I hope his dreams have come true since that's then. What my my two-year-old um, wants to be a garbage truck. She loves Oh, I love trucks. that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's gorgeous. <laughs> but then I stand up and I'm like, I want to be a meteorologist. And all the kids are like, what the heck are you talking about? But I was really <laughs> interested in the weather and I would watch storm chases on National Geographic and all sorts of shows like that. Oh, yeah. But then it wasn't until high school when I was in year nine or year 10, where this, I guess it's late middle school or just very early high school for the American uh, education system. So about 16 okay. years old. Okay. Yeah. That's and middle, middle my, high school. Okay. Fantastic. So I was, 16 years old and my science teachers took my entire year group on an excursion to see this documentary about the Hubble Space Telescope. Oh, cool. Oh yeah, you know where this is going. And, yeah. and we saw this on this huge screen. So it's an IMAX screen. Do you have IMAX in America? We do, yeah. Fantastic, yeah. So we, we, we watched this on this huge, humongous screen and I was like, yep, that's what I wanna do. That's what oh I need God. to do. I need to know more about our mysterious universe. Wow. I man, wow, you were 16? You know how many 16. people yep. would kill to have like that sense of purpose at 16? I Absolutely. I mean I mean I bet you know but I don't know. People now they're going to college, they're switching majors 10 times and then they're living with their parents forever. I don't know, that's the way it is here it feels <laughs> like. Man, that is so cool. Okay, so you knew. I knew. I just I just had to. My so when, my Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say my um, my career aspirations did jump around a little bit. Uh, there was a time when I wanted to be a professional saxophone player. Oh, so I cool. played saxophone for 13 years. Yes, yeah, so that was lots of fun. Wow. Uh, I'm actually sitting next to my saxophones in my pantry right now of my, my studio. That Wait, is. <laughs> your saxophones are in your pantry. Yep. There is no oh. other room 
Oh, I hear you. I've got, it. I've got the telescope there. I have a guitar here, a guitar here behind me, and then my drum pads <laughs> are down there. <laughs> There's no room. It, it's all next you to just, my bed. You find space wherever there is. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So question about the schooling. So in America, and I think most of my listeners here are American, we go through, you're probably about 14 to 18 ish is high school and that's mm -hmm. grade nine through 12. So right. after you saw Hubble at age 16, what were you able to do with that? Like, did you have to finish uh, the equivalent of high school? Or were you able to start studying that right away? What's that like in Australia? Right. So our high school goes from year seven to year 12. So I was 12 years old when I okay. started high school. Uh, yeah. oh, I must have been 15 then when I watched this um, because in being in year nine or year 10, you can choose some subjects like electives. Uh, okay. What did I choose? Probably like a foreign language or something. something. Oh, yeah. We had to do a foreign language. I think I chose Italian. That was fun. Oh, so I really did I. That. Yeah, period. nice. <laughs> Such a beautiful language. Oh, yeah. um, what else did I do? I can't remember what else I did. Uh, it must have been music. It must have been. G yeah. Given my background, music theory, um, so, harmony, all that. Exactly, exactly. So by that time, I still had the uh, flexibility to choose some subjects because once you reach year eleven, that's when the HSC starts, so the high school certificate, and that's when you choose all of your subjects except for English. You have to do English. Um, sure. So what I did is I did standard English because that's it was the easiest one to do. It sure. wasn't really focused on English. I did extension mathematics. So you okay. have the usual two units of mathematics and then some extension on top of that too. Physics, of course. Of course. Uh, music and geography, which was my cool. other fun one. So by that stage, when I had watched Hubble, I was like, okay, cool. Let's do the maths. Let's do the physics. I had chemistry on my list when I was in year 11. So in year 11, it's the preliminary, preliminary HSC. So okay. you choose... X amount of subjects, and then you drop one when you go into year 12 to be more okay. specific. Okay. And I dropped chemistry going into year 12 because I didn't like my teacher. Okay. Sorry, oh, Mr. Sucks. Reeves. That's but I, I didn't enjoy your teaching. I which, can cut which that is... out if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, but like, it's the story with many people. Like, yeah. many people will be deterred from science or, or any subject in particular because of a teacher that doesn't, you know, inspire them. The way they that may they not mean. be bad teachers necessarily. They may not be exactly. bad or whatever that the term bad even means. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Mm. So lucky for me, I had that, that aha moment when I was still able to choose things to like make my career. Yeah. Wow. I think mine was actually polar opposite of that. I don't even think I've shared it before. Anyway, so I, when I was in high school, I was in drumline because I drums are like my main instrument. And I actually really wanted to play the tuba really bad in middle Ooh. school. And I was too small. I was like Aww. really tiny. And there was this big hefty dude and he could like actually hold it. And they're like, sorry, you have to play drums. And I was like, oh, fine. Uh, <laughs> ended up absolutely loving it. But in drumline where I went to high school, the kids were amazingly smart but they were the different kind of smart. They were like the kind of smart where they could apply themselves and succeed. Whereas that's not really like rewarded right in high school. Mm. And then when my parents got really affected by this um, economic crash we had in 2008, uh, kind of had me and my two siblings at the time that were still in school um, saying, okay, we're going to go to community college. So for me, it was kind of like there was nothing academic really inspiring me to do anything. I had never taken a physics class. I was just, I got home, I practiced for marching band and drumline, and then I went to bed, right? And so I wanted to do the easiest major there was. And so I chose communications just because all my teachers were like, well, you should get a degree. So I was like, all right, I'm going to choose communications. And that's apparently that's the easiest. And like literally people were high in classes next to me. And they were, <laughs> they were like, C's get degrees, man. And like, you know, I was, that, was, that was the kind of vibe here mm. and in my last semester i had to take an elective or a capstone class outside of my major 
And there was this long list. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to be done with this degree. I like hate school. And it was a um, history of human space flight class. It was either that or a really, really obscure Eastern religion, which I just like wasn't into studying at the time. And so I was like, you know what? This history of human space flight, the rate my professor says it's super easy. I'm just going to do it. And so I did it and we learned all about the history of human space flight. And then our <laughs> final was to provide it with all the um, equations to do some orbital mechanics equations for sending a satellite to Mars and back. And oh, wow. so, yeah, but it, it, everything was provided. They, we just had to do it, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I asked my teacher, I was like, are these equations like provided for real scientists? And she was like, um, yeah, you know, like for the most part, they have to do a lot of the figuring it out, but the main framework is, is there. Gravity is the same. This vacuum of space is the same. Um, we pretty much know the gravity of Mars. So, you know, telling a student, yeah, it's pretty much the same. And I was like, I can't believe I just did that. And it gave me so much purpose for the first time mm -hmm. ever. I was like, oh, I have to switch majors. My wife was like, no, girlfriend at the time was like, no, no, you're in your last semester. <laughs> like, nope, sorry, switching majors. So I went home, took all the calc and physics that my community college could offer and then went back. Because <laughs> it was awesome. It wasn't until I was like 19 or 19, no, 19, 20, 21, 22, until I realized what I wanted to do. So wow. a little late. Um, Even okay, then, so like that's still that's still young. That's still early. Like it, it is. This whole rhetoric yeah. of you have to know what you want to do when you're 15 in high school is is while it did happen for me, uh, it's just completely ridiculous. Like we have such long lives that yeah. Do whatever you're passionate about. Yeah. Stop. Like whether it's whether it's one thing at one stage of your life or another thing at another stage of your life, just just do it. And okay, so I love that, and I think I get caught on that a little too far. So my wife's like, my wife will walk in and be like, well, "What are you doing? Are you gonna you want to come watch like Bridgerton with me?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm just doing this voiceover thing." And she's like, "Voiceover?" I was like, "Yeah, I got like hired to do voiceover." She's like, "Why?" And I was like, "Cause I just wanted to." I just wanted to, I want to try it. <laughs> I went on a freelancing website. Just, I don't know. I just wanted to know what it was like to do a voiceover. So they're paying me, <laughs> you know, 50 bucks. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, I totally agree with that. Life's too short, which is why I got a hundred dollar gift card to Amazon for Christmas. And I spent it on this. Uh, you can see it on YouTube, but I spent it on this guy because oh. it's a guitar, electric guitar. For those of you who can't see, I am sick. I'm sick of feeling too stupid to learn a pitched instrument. And it was just time. I'm sick of saying like, I wish I knew how to play guitar, you know? So it's time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that being that. said, that being said, for me, it was too late to get into a science field right after college because um, when I finished my community college work, my wife and I had the goal of starting a family far before my space passion. So Jenna and I decided to start a family and put school on pause. So I was accepted to Long Beach for the physics program, but I deferred. And then we had two kids and I've loved that so much, but I didn't have the credentials to get a job in the space industry. So I am currently working in construction, which is really fun. Actually, I love my job, but eventually I do want to work in the space industry, whether that's even an educator or uh, science communicator or something, but you do work in the space industry. And I really want to hear about that. How, <laughs> I guess my main question, and maybe some listeners have this too, what's the difference between an astronomer and an astrophysicist? And how did you get to the job that you're doing now? So I was asked this question on the radio the other day, and I came up with an answer quickly because it was live and everything, but I didn't like my answer. So Oh, I'm going to try again with you today because <laughs> so with, with astrophysics, like astronomy and astrophysics are not extremely different. Like we okay. all study the sky in some way uh, or another, but I feel like with astrophysics, it's a bit more about the fundamentals of the universe. So looking out into the deepest depths of the universe to distant galaxies to when the universe was just beginning and everything in between as well and trying to understand the physics of what's going on 
in these large scale structures or with stars and what's going on inside stars as well. But when it comes to astronomy, I feel like that's more surface level what you can see in the night sky. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So like, yeah. So like astrophysics is like fabric of the universe, dark energy, dark matter, filaments mm. and voids and stuff. <laughs> and then astronomy is more like, let's learn how to classify stars and stuff. I think so. Not to yeah. degrade astronomy, but to be a bit Not more Not at all, because both work together and both are the same in many there's a, there's a lot of overlap between astronomy and astrophysics yeah so they're not they're not at odds by any means they just kind of work alongside each other okay Absolutely. but you, you are an astrophysicist specifically i am okay yes. so what do you what do you do i mean like i've <laughs> seen you viewing she uh kirsten will do lives sometimes where she's like at the telescope and she has like an overnight shift but like what is your job <laughs> So I am a PhD student. So in four years time, you can call me Dr. Astro Kirsten, um, cool. which would be really cool. I'm very excited. Oh, I didn't even like, I didn't even do that. Guys, if you want to follow Kirsten, she's Astro Kirsten, I think on all platforms, right? Instagram and TikTok and everything. All the platforms. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm doing a PhD in astrophysics, uh, Basically what I'm doing is I'm researching or observing stars in our own Milky Way galaxy to try and understand more about the history and formation of our island universe. So what I've been doing over the last year, I've just, this, I'm one year into my PhD now, it's absolutely terrifying. Wow. But what I've been doing over the last year is I've been observing particular types of stars in our Milky Way called red clump stars and red giant branch stars. The idea right now is to be able to distinguish between these two types of stars because red clump stars, and by the way, these two types of stars are ones that are much older than our sun. They've evolved past what's called the main sequence, which is kind of where most stars tend to fall on. Um, okay. So with these red clump stars, they're very special because they can be used as a standard candle. So they all shine at very much the same brightness. So if we see them and be able to distinguish these types of stars, we can say, okay, it's this bright. So we know it's this far away very accurately too. Oh, I see. So mm. it'll, the apparent brightness is different, obviously, but the, the actual, uh, what's it called? The absolute brightness is totally like the same and relative to this, to how far it is. Exactly. Okay, so okay. when we can distinguish between these two types of stars and be able to do that with spectroscopy, which is feeding light from a star through a spectrograph to split it up into its rainbow, and we can use spectral features in a star's spectra to find out what it's made of or what kind of star it is, once we can do that, we can then create a big survey of red clump stars and then accurately map the Milky Way galaxy in 3D. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I, don't, I know some, I don't know much about how PhD programs work. Is this work? Well, they're very different in the U S and Australia. Oh, I get, I, I guess I mean, aware, they're very different. I guess I mean more like conceptually, does this, the fact that you're doing this work, does that mean that this work hasn't been done before? Oh, yes. Well, oh. Kind, kind of actually, yes and no. So this work that we're doing right now, uh, observing red clump and red giant branch stars and being able to distinguish between the two, this specific research and study has been done on a previous survey of these types of stars. What we're doing at the moment is we're expanding on this research by looking at these types of stars in a longer wavelength range. So. In the previous one, they were like, oh, this is over this wavelength range, but now we're expanding it from about 580 nanometers to 900 nanometers, which is a huge range. So about green to infrared parts Whoa. of the spectrum. Okay. So, and by doing that, we're trying to find some more features that may not have existed in the previous wavelength range. Uh, and we're also using a much more powerful spectrograph, which has a resolution of about 80,000, which is huge. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. There's some very cool instruments that we're using here. Um, but 
I have now lost my train of thought. Oh yes, that's right. So we do uh, expand on previous research and do similar things. Okay. But at the end of the day, I will be expanding on the overall knowledge of humankind, which is Whoa. absolutely insane. That's the point of a PhD, right? Yeah. So you have this like sphere of knowledge and you're poking out at one particular part of the sphere of knowledge and making it a little bit bigger. And that little blip will be my PhD. <laughs> and then your hope as a professional astrophysicist is to continue to make that sphere larger, I'm assuming. Of course. Yeah. Depending on so your... more research, yeah. more stuff. Wow. More knowledge. That's really cool. So the first stage of your research will look much different right now. You're primarily observing, whereas later on, it'll be not as much observing and more analyzing data and organizing and things like that. Yeah. So I've done all my observing for now. Um, I did, like you said, I went live a couple of times on TikTok. It was in October, November. It had some great nights over October, yeah. November. Very clear, beautiful. Got about one a bit over 100 stars to work with, which is a good amount. We can work with that with what we want to do with our analysis. Okay. But uh, my second half was right over Christmas. Yeah, and I was there for that. Let's just say it was just awful it was so cloudy, cloudy right? almost every single night oh, and when it was clear it was humid and gross and oh, oh i never asked you i never asked you were you able to see the conjunction from where you were no or is, that, is that only us oh so we could potentially see it but it was cloudy oh okay, okay i didn't know if it was a hemisphere part. thing or something like that oh no no so it was definitely visible just not visible because uh because of clouds okay it was so, um, I, yeah. I have to admit, I'm not as telescope savvy. So my telescope is old. Oh, well, not old. It's, um, I just, I didn't, I don't maintain it probably the way it should be maintained. And I'm pretty sure my daughter ran off with the exact lens I needed, which I'm like, Oh no. Um, so I had a lens that was a little more zoomed out and I was able to see the moons and the rings, but not as close as I wanted to. And my iPhone Aww. photos of like trying to center it over the telescope are just <laughs> pathetic. Um, anyway. Okay. So actually I, I do have a question um, expanding on that a little bit. Actually. So Hubble, you, you saw that thing about Hubble and Hubble for those who don't know is an orbiting telescope. So it's orbiting around the earth. It doesn't have to deal with um, atmospheric um, like interruptions or whatever uh, things getting in the way. And, and, and so we've actually even sent astronauts to Hubble to meet up with it in the shuttle to repair it and things like that. So it's accessible, but I think it's retiring soon if I'm not, or if it, or it already did retire, if I'm not mistaken, do you know? It's still definitely being used at the moment. Yeah. There's actually a really cool um, Twitter bot that you can follow. I oh, forget no what the exact thing is, but it's it's like, what is Hubble looking at now? And oh, every now cool. and then it will tweet saying, I'm looking at this for this researcher. And Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's, it's a great little, great little Twitter bot. So it's definitely still being in use at the moment. Okay. I feel like once James Webb goes up, if James Webb ever goes up, um, which probably probably will happen this year, but I'm just still so skeptical since it was supposed to go up in like 2010. <laughs> yeah, I have, I think I have the, I may not have the numbers exactly right, but apparently it was supposed to be like a $1 billion telescope. And now it's oh, yeah. been like 10 billion or something like that. Something stupid. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. It's uh, so funny. So but to, in, in, yeah. in, in the worst way. <laughs> yeah, I have to brag. I'm seeing it in a week. I'm going to Northrop Grumman and actually seeing the telescope. What? Yeah. Oh, so I'm my, so jealous. my sister's friend just got a job at Northrop Grumman and she was like, she was like, oh my gosh, you, you should come see it. And I'm like, I don't want to like, like ruin or like put your new job at risk. You don't have to. And so she's like, oh, okay, fine, fine, fine. So then she, I, I dropped it. She dropped it. And then she just reached out last week and was like, Hey, does your brother want to like see this thing? Cause it's going to launch this year. You guys should come soon. And we're probably going to move it closer to launch. And I'm like, uh, yeah. So I'm just driving <laughs> up to LA on, on uh, next Friday and seeing it. I'm so excited. I'll have to so cool. post about it, but that's going to be insane. Oh, yeah. That J James Webb space telescope is going to be absolutely bonkers. In, oh, absolutely. Like it's going to be so cool. Do you know, are you able to tell us like 
the difference between that and Hubble or like why why is it going to be newer, better, more, you know, like what are the upgrades to it or is it a different telescope? Oh, so they're both similar and different in many different ways. So they're both reflecting telescopes using mirrors. Okay. But Hubble has a wavelength range where it can see in optical and near infrared and UV. Is optical like uh, visible light? Yeah, what we can see. Okay. What okay. we can see with our eyes. Yeah. Cool. Uh, in and fact, so, the photo behind me is taken by Hubble. Uh, this is yeah, an infrared image feel, of the pillars of creation. Oh, I love those. I, so I feel good. left out. I, I want a virtual this. background now. Hold on. <laughs> I'm coming. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it with it more in the background. There we go. Incredible. Um, okay, so... Okay, yeah, so it, so Hubble it can sees see, like visible yeah. and then the two right around it. That's right. But with uh, James Webb, it's going to be more of an infrared telescope. Still a bit of optical visual light that we can see, but a lot more infrared, which is why it's going beyond the moon. So being out there, there'll be less oh. light from the sun, which will keep the instruments nice and cool because with infrared light, you and I, we emit infrared light because we have some sort of temperature. Yeah. And that peaks in the infrared. So, which is why we can see people through walls with infrared cameras, stuff like that. So we need to keep these instruments very cool and cold so that there's less noise in the yeah. data. Like visual so noise. So that's why it's going, yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why it's going beyond the moon to this very cooler area of space. Okay, yes. so when you say beyond the moon, obviously, we've talked about this there's no dark side of the moon so mm -hmm. is it orbiting the moon in a way where it's always on its dark side so or will it be in the sun sometimes oh i have to double check this but it's so uh, not hubble the other one james webb is going to a very special point in space called a lagrange point which oh, is yes Lagrange points they come about uh between two bodies so it's the lagrange point part of the sun and earth system i'm pretty sure yeah i'd have to double check right. yeah because then it will be on i think it's called l2 which we have a Ooh. line between the the sun and the earth yeah l1 is between the sun and the earth l2 is beyond in that same line okay so it should always be in the shadow of the earth this oh, makes more oh. sense now yes yeah that makes sense yeah. So okay. it will be beyond the Earth orbiting at the same, not the same speed, because it'll be a bit further Much away, faster. but at the same time <laughs> behind the sun, uh, behind the Earth rather. So it orbits with the Earth around the sun. Okay. So let's say that the sun is the center of a clock mm -hmm. and the Earth is like um, halfway up the minute hand. That means yeah. that if the moon is three quarters of the way up the minute hand, that means that James Webb will always be right at the end of that minute hand. So it's in Earth's shadow. Exactly. Okay. I don't okay. know about the exact fractions, but as, as a, yeah, as no, a visualization, using, using absolutely. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. We'd be here for hours if we wanted to do the exact. No. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that being said, in regards to hard equations, um, I just to switch gears for a little bit. This is something I've actually really wanted to ask you for a while because I I feel like I know you. I don't, but I feel like I do. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> I know that you're like approachable and like nice. But I have to say, people that are in the industry now or that have been studying this their whole lives, it is rather intimidating because you guys just seem like smarter and that. <laughs> things are just easy for you and so i was wondering if there ever has been a time where studying like physics and space and and these topics that are seen to all of us most everyone as hard topics has there ever been a time where it's seemed hard for you or i don't know that you really had significant intellectual roadblocks oh absolutely all the time oh thank god all, all the time <laughs> like this stuff is this stuff is hard and and well you know, and when I when I make TikToks, you know, it, it looks like that I know a lot, which I'm not going to lie, I do know quite a bit. But that's that's the perfect version of doing that. Yeah, that, that's, that's researched and proofread. That's research, exactly. It's research, yeah. and it's it's being at university for six years. 
uh, right. That's my, that's been my, uh, where I've been for six years in university. Um, right. so it's, it's building up that knowledge and building up those skills to be able to disseminate knowledge quickly and be able sure. to do that in, in a shorter time frame. So it doesn't take a huge amount of time to understand what the physics is when I make a TikTok like that. But I'll tell you what, yeah, all the time, all the time is a struggle. Like I remember this uh, one time, well, multiple times in my undergrad where physics was just getting really intimidating, really difficult. Like in my program, I had to do courses like quantum physics, quantum mechanics, electrodynamics. Um, and I actually failed one of my final exams. Whoa. Really? Yeah. That was, that was tough. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I failed. Um, Whoa. yeah. So I had to, back then you could do a supplementary exam. So if you passed that supplementary exam, you'd got, you got 50%, just that's all you could get. I so mean, I managed to do that in the end, but, uh, yeah, it was a really tough moment. And, and it's funny because after you take those tests, like you understand the material, you know, like afterwards mm -hmm. it's, e it's easy enough. It's fine. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, much to, uh, well, I guess not to many people's belief, um, throughout my schooling, I, I did really well in high school. Well, I did well enough in high school that to do the degree that I wanted to do, which was a Bachelor of Science with a major in physics at the university that I'm at, the University of New South Wales, um, to get into university here in Australia, you need a certain ATAR, which is kind of like a ranking that you get with the entire year 12 cohort doing the HSC. Wow. So it goes up to the highest one you can get is 99.95, which is like okay. ridiculous. And a couple of students do get that each year. Oh my goodness. Uh, but the cutoff for my program was 84. Oh, that still sounds very difficult. It, it is still high and it is, it is still difficult. And I managed to get 86. So I just oh. scraped in. <laughs> But that's all that mattered. Yeah, that is of course. all that mattered. Once I was in, I'm like, all right, cool, we're here now. Um, but my program didn't include an honors year, which is the year you do before going into a PhD at in Australia. So I had to get a high enough WAM, which is kind of like a GPA, but it's, okay. again, it's out of a hundred, um, which is just your weighted average mark, which is what that stands for. Okay. So. To get into the honors program, I needed to have at least 65 for my WAM, which is a credit average. I got 67. I just oh scraped gosh. in again. Oh my gosh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so like, yeah, out of the cohort, like I definitely wasn't the smartest, brilliant person, um, sure. but you know, I got enough. I got enough to get in and that's all that mattered. And it's, and same for my PhD as well. I got just enough to oh my get gosh. the first class honors in the end. So first class and is a mark from 85 to hundred and I got 85. And it's but, not about right where you start. It's about where you finish. Right. So people are going to see exactly. Dr. Astro Kirsten or whatever. That's right. <laughs> Dang. That's so cool. And you're doing well in the program. Now you're enjoying it and you're doing good work. Yeah, I think so. At least I have a confirmation coming up in a few months. So after your first year, well, within your first year of your PhD, you do confirmation where they're like, yeah, you're doing good. You can keep going or you're not doing so well. We need to talk. Goodbye. Or we need to oh. talk. Yeah, exactly. Oh, goodbye. Okay. So I think it's very rare for people to be nicked off out of the program because you have to, really, you have to be doing yeah. really terrible to not be like nurtured to keep going. So usually it happens within the first year, but it was delayed because of COVID. Thank goodness. Um, so I have this confirmation coming up in about a month or so. Good luck. So or that's going to be interesting. Break Thank a leg you. Or, uh, <laughs> um, things. Okay. I have some more fun questions I wanted to ask you just because I actually don't know these. Um, and so on, on TikTok, you can join a lot of different communities, right? So it's not nothing official. You don't sign up for communities. But for me, I have found myself on Star Wars TikTok. If you, <laughs> I, I am a big Star Wars fan. I do like it. I found myself a little bit on Christian TikTok, a little bit on writing TikTok or book talk, as they call it. Ooh. And a little bit on, what else am I on? Um, I don't know. I just get those in my feed. So, but I don't see your feed. I only show, I only see what videos you post. So 
Um, so for some personal questions, what is your favorite fandom? Like if you were to choose a book or a movie or like a world like Harry Potter world or Star Trek or Star Wars or I don't know. It doesn't have to be like a total nerdy one, but it could be, um, I don't know, Pride and Prejudice or something. But um, what's your favorite like <laughs> fandom? Oh, favorite fandom. I think the one that I'm definitely most involved in, at least in the sense that I I probably read more about this than I do anything else outside of my degree and my PhD is The Bachelor. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we have we have The Bachelor in Australia as well. And I absolutely love it. Like trashy TV. It's a different it's it's same setup. So you have a guy, you have multiple women. No, but it's like for Australian people, it's not Americans. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's it's Australian Bachelor. Yeah. And the Bachelorette and we have Bachelor in Paradise too, which I think is a a franchise. That is the the epit that's like the dumpster fire of the bachelors bachelor in paradise and i i can't oh, yeah. get enough of it bachelor in paradise is like we'll just all grab popcorn and pop that on easy absolutely like it's hilarious and it's just it's just my out you know oh, yeah. you don't have to think too much when you're watching it you, you know you can just like turn off your brain and just enjoy this reality tv entertainment so reality tv is definitely my fandom Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Batchy is where it's at. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so my friends developed a website. Have you you've heard of like fantasy football and stuff for um, American mm-hmm. football? Um, yeah. My friends developed a website called Batch Bracket, where it's basically oh my goodness. fantasy is like betting on The Bachelor, and um, it's super fun. I haven't I haven't done it since <laughs> they launched it, but um, okay. So that actually brings up a really good point. I so currently I'm in a master's program for space studies and it's through american public university so it's it's a sister school of american military university so i have a bunch of like pilots and commanders and captains and stuff in my classes it's pretty cool actually um but the class i'm in right now is really fascinating it's the physiology and psychology of space travel so all the physiological and psychological changes your body goes through when you enter into microgravity really fast. My focus is in astronomy, but I have to take these classes in the beginning. And it's really interesting. And my, my paper that I had to do this week was um, what extracurricular activities would you bring for the astronauts to do on a six-month mission to Mars or six-month both ways? And can you justify bringing it because it um, it, uh, it improves them in some way? So it, it's good. The activity is good for their memory, or it's chess, or it's good for this, that, and the other. And I like I really kind of went off the rails about how the question was asked really poorly, in my opinion, because I cannot relate to an astronaut. But I've been quarantined with two toddlers under two for a year, a uh, nine months now. And it it really tries my sanity, like I'm imagining (laughs) astronauts are. And I think something me and my wife has discovered is we need things that don't benefit us. I'm not saying they're bad for us, but I need to do something at the end of the day that doesn't make me smarter. I need to do something at the end of the day that's not like a mental activity. I need to like absolutely play Knights of the Old Republic or play Rocket League or watch TV or throw on school of rock or I don't know anything, you know, and I, I need it specifically the fact that it's unnecessary. It makes it necessary. And I think yeah. so in my paper, I was like, you got to just let them bring whatever they want. And it has to have a level of unnecessary to it and a lesser, uh, level of nostalgia. Mm. Cause like, I don't know about you, but when I'm like really feeling like not myself or really, I guess like cooped up or, just stressed, I'll like revert to old video games or revert to like an old Harry Potter book or something like that for comfort or mm. an old, a favorite movie like School of Rock is my favorite movie. Um, but yeah, so that's interesting. So I love that. Bachelor is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So I know you're studying red, uh, what did you call them? The the Not the red dwarfs, but the ones that have the same light. Oh, the red clump stars. The clump stars. Okay, so I know you're studying those for your PhD, but what Mm -hmm. phenomenon in space excites you the most? Oh, it has to be undoubtedly dark matter. Like, what the heck is that? 
Yeah, that, we don't even know. That's the thing that I think is is coming soon. Really? In space. I feel like, I mean, I'm not in the forefront of this research, but we've had multiple big discoveries in the last couple of decades. And I feel like we're ready for another big one. And okay, I think so dark matter is the next one. Just to clarify. Or at least I hope it is. Yeah. And just so just to clarify, it's completely separate from dark energy. Absolutely not related yes. whatsoever. It's only dark because Absolutely. we don't know what it is, right? Yeah. Because we're so good at naming things in astronomy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So dark matter is not what's pulling our universe apart or is that dark energy? Dark energy is what's pulling the universe I'm apart. more dark saying this is like is a this... devil's advocate but yeah, what it, yeah. <laughs> what intrigues you so much about dark matter, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. It's, the intriguing part is that it's so elusive. Like we can see that it's there without seeing that it's there. Like we can see show me the that dark matter is it's, here without showing me dark matter is here. <laughs> right, it's 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 uh, it's absolutely a meme. It's hilarious. So yeah. like we can one of my favorite objects to look at when talking about dark matter is the bullet cluster. It's these uh, Ooh, two big clusters of galaxies. Okay. So and and galaxy clusters are proponents for huge dark matter halos. This is actually what I've been working on today. I, last year I had, oh not last year. 2019, I had uh, I was doing my honors in galaxy mergers, so okay. know a lot about galaxy clusters and their dark matter halos and whatnot. And I was writing about it just before we started recording this oh, because cool. I'm writing a paper on it. Cool. Um, and so you have these two galaxy clusters that are merging into each other, which this happens a lot in space. We can model this and we see this happening with the bullet cluster. And within this image, you can see these yellow spots, which are galaxies. I believe you can see some. Here, do you want to do you want to walk me through that? Oh Let's yes, see. perfect. Okay, so you can see uh, this this pink stuff and this blue stuff. Okay. Uh, as far as I can recall, yeah, that one would be good. Yeah. So as far as I can recall, is the blue stuff is the dark matter. Huh. Okay. And what's interesting is that so these two galaxy clusters have merged and passed through each other. Now the pink stuff, if I remember correctly, is the intracluster light. So it's it's hot gas, it's stars that have been dislodged from their galaxies. It's it's real <laughs> real matter. It's it's matter that exists like you and I. Uh, what we call baryonic, baryonic matter, matter. Okay. In exactly. Cool. So baryonic matter, usual stuff, interacts, slows down, friction happens, so on and so forth. But the blue stuff here is the dark matter, which has retained its shape. It hasn't been dislodged. It hasn't been uh, changed in any way whatsoever like the pink stuff has. You can see there's clear structures in the pink stuff that have been disturbed from this yeah, merging together. But with this blue things, these are these blue halos, the dark matter halos, they've, they're completely un, unimpeded. So wow. this shows us that dark matter uh, doesn't interact with normal matter like normal matter does. Oh, yeah, perfect. I got it. Mwah straight off the bat um got it <laughs> dark matter doesn't interact with normal matter in the way that normal matter interacts with normal matter and it also shows us that dark matter doesn't interact with dark matter either which oh, is sure. interesting so like it, it'll just pass through without interacting with each other it's what? it's so weird but so interesting like i said elusive which is my favorite word to describe dark matter whoa Right? How cool is that? Well, I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay, that's awesome. Bullet cluster. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Wow. And, and it's hilarious because it's, it's while it's called the bullet cluster, it's like the smoking gun for dark matter. That's cool. <laughs> it works so well. <laughs> that is super nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, whoa, cool. Okay, I feel that. I feel your excitement. I, I believe you. Um, <laughs> Okay, another thing I wanted to ask. So I, when I was coming out of um, my undergraduate in communications, there were a couple things that got me started in learning about space. Uh, mine was reading Cosmos by Carl Sagan, of course, but I was 
post-college at that point. So that book was fine for my reading level. Obviously, a high schooler could totally pick that up, um, but it's probably not their first choice. <laughs> Second, I watched the Cosmos series, not the old one by Carl Sagan, but the revamped one by Neil deGrasse Tyson. And um, that really got me excited. That that one was as unbelievably produced series. Um, so those were the things that kind of kickstarted me in terms of media that I saw. But it doesn't have to necessarily be media. But do you have any tips for people who um, are interested in studying astrophysics or astronomy? Uh, and I don't know, maybe they're in college, maybe they're in high school, but maybe they don't really know where they can, what they can do. I don't know. Do you have any kind of tips or, or things that we can research or get into or watch or read or things like that? Absolutely. So like you said, the the Cosmos series and the book as well are fantastic. There are so many books that you can read about astronomy. You have another one of Neil deGrasse Tyson's is uh, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, which I've is a good little good. book. I haven't read it yet, it's, but it's I've heard one. it's great. Okay. It's a good one. It's a good one. I definitely give props to that book. It's, he is it's a, a good, little... good science communicator, if nothing else. So he really yeah. is. Yeah. We'll say that. Um, well, also, what else is there? There's also one thing that I would really recommend is, especially if you're interested in just looking at space, is joining a local astronomy community. Like, you'll be surprised. There's one everywhere. Um, there's plenty in where I live in Sydney. There, I, I even did a, a talk just last month uh, with the Westminster Astro Society in, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know my uh, US geography very well, but uh, in DC, maybe? In no. Washington, DC? I think so. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know where, there's yeah. a bunch of Westminsters everywhere. There's one in California, there's uh, one, okay. Ah, uh, there you go. <laughs> it was definitely so on the Eastern side of the country. Yeah, DC. Um, that's okay. where all that cool. stuff went down today. Um, yes. Dang. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and there's there they are everywhere. So if if you don't believe her or whatever, if you don't think that there's one near you, uh, there is. Unless you live there in is. very remote parts. But if you live in very remote parts, there's more likely to be an astronomy club there. I promise. Exactly. Um, You'll have better skies out there anyway. <laughs> exactly. So even in Southern California, we have many astronomy clubs you just have to look them up on google so absolutely mm. um and they they actually seem very intimidating i have to say that so when you look them up yeah. it's a bunch of it's a bunch of older guys and they they all have you know they some of them bring their telescopes some of them like actually seem kind of standoffish when i first went to my first meeting but everyone there is super welcoming. Um, and, and when they bring their telescopes, they don't bring them for themselves. They bring it so that everyone can can come in. And it's actually one of the more welcoming communities um, that you can that you can do. So yeah, I recommend that too. That's a great that's a great recommendation. Yeah. And then if you want to do cool. actual research, you can also do that too. So there's this great website called Zooniverse. So it's essentially a mashing together of zoo and universe so and you can go there and you can contribute to science research and astronomy research so is there's one the... on there oh, called ahead, galaxy zoo oh, okay. um, galaxy zoo you can actually look at images of galaxies and help astronomers classify these types of galaxies because computers and machine learning algorithms are good but it turns out humans are actually better at it than machines are really we're better at finding patterns in images than machines it seems so you can contribute to what's called citizen science so you can okay. become a scientist and there have been times where someone a citizen has actually been included on a scientific paper as a, an author because they've helped out with this whoa okay so i have a question about that i got involved in i think it's called oh something quest um You've definitely heard of this woman, uh, Swinburg Astronomy Online. No, what's her name? Pamela Gay? Oh, Gay, yeah. From Astronomy Pamela. Cast? Yeah. Oh, you just I've called her Pamela. I've done a couple of events with her. Yeah. You know her? She, she's, she's, yeah, she's Pamela. <laughs> okay, she's Pamela. I Astronomy Cast was the only thing I listened to for two years straight. I listened to every single episode they did from the first one they ever published, every single one. Uh, unbelievable. I think they have, she's got all these awards for that podcast, of course. Um, and so she, what's it called? It's called, oh my gosh, it's very similar to Zooniverse. It's 
Yeah. Something quest. I, I got to find it. I'll, I'll add it to the show notes or something. Astro but... quest, maybe? Or Cosmo quest? Cosmo quest. Thank you. That's so, it? Oh, perfect. What do you guess? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Cosmo quest where you can go on and you can help identify craters on the moon. It's citizen oh, science. And you try and identify specific types of craters or if they're, if they're a rock or if they're a crater. And I loved doing it, but then I thought like, this feels more like a game than it does doing actual research. So you being an astrophysicist, you tell us like these things that are citizen science, they actually do help you guys. Absolutely. Because in astronomy with there's just an overwhelming amount of data for us to scrape through. It's, it's insane. Like one, one night, one full night of observing for me gets me about 10 gigabytes of data. Oh uh, which, my gosh. And that's one night. And oh considering that I was given 15 nights of observing this semester, yeah. that's, that's, it's a lot of data. Um, and, and that's a small survey. Like there, oh, there was a survey, um, the RAC survey with ASCAP. So this is an Australian uh, radio array, radio telescope okay. array that I made a TikTok about it a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago and it mapped the entire Southern sky in just a couple of weeks. And there was like 13 exabytes of data. Exabytes? I've never even heard. Exabytes. It's, it's a, a, a billion gigabytes. Oh makes one exabyte, right? It is absolutely ridiculous. So we, did, we, we had this just so much data in astronomy. We need help. So even though it does look like a game, it really does help. You are doing science for us. Okay, I'm going uh, to link to all those. Um, in the So this episode's being put on YouTube and on podcasts. So I'll put it in all the necessary places. That is super cool to know. Cool. Okay. Well, I... Man, I feel like I could just keep talking to you, but I really do like, uh, um, I do want to keep this, uh, you know, a little sh short only because I don't know, I, maybe people are enjoying it and they want it to keep going forever, but um, it's about that time to start wrapping up. And while I could, I think we could talk just, I don't know, for a long time on this. I, I can't thank you enough for joining me on this podcast, Kirsten. Honestly, it, just to kind of give you guys a sense, it, I mean, I, I don't know. TikTok is so weird because the celebrities are seem like total, whatever. I'm not going to go name calling, but the celebrities on that <laughs> app are like not my style really. And so the people that I watch often are like the smaller Star Wars accounts and the smaller space accounts. And so we're all like under a hundred thousand followers. We're all like in the same pool. And so actually meeting Kirsten, I kind of like, I kind of like lost it a little bit when she popped on the Zoom meeting before we started recording. It's just so <laughs> exciting. So I guess, I mean, that's what social media is supposed to be for. So I, I'm just really excited I got this opportunity. So Kirsten, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. No, thank you so much for inviting me. And it was honestly so much fun. I, I agree. We could talk for hours about space, honestly. Like it, there's just so much Don't to cover. Me. So much. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but thank well, you for inviting me. This has been really, really fun. Good. Okay, good. I have this actually it's 3 p.m. for Kirsten right now and it's 9 p.m. for me. So it's much different, different sides of the world. But um, I do, you know, we're this podcast is getting going again. And I really appreciate your guys' support and this. And I don't mean like monetary support. I just mean a lot of you have really been encouraging me to, you know, get back in it because I've I've said over the last couple of years, like with, you know, my my daughter not sleeping for nine months, basically, and uh, health issues and my son's health issues and a lot of ups and downs. You guys have been super supportive. So I really appreciate that. But if there was something that Kirsten didn't answer, or if there was something I didn't ask, or if this kind of show is one that you really, really enjoyed, please let me know whether that's easier to just go on YouTube and leave a comment, or if you want to leave a comment on um, the podcast review, whatever you're on Apple podcast, that would, it would really, really be appreciated to uh, let me know what you guys think. Um, as always, you can follow me at space, but messier on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can follow Kirsten at Astro Kirsten. I will link it for you on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, anything else on that? Facebook too, but it, Facebook basically just sees the same thing as Instagram. So it's fine. <laughs> okay. And then I didn't tell you, I was going to ask you this, but is there anything you want to plug any like 
thing you're going to be part of, or I don't know, anything that you're just like excited about and you want to share? I, I guess I didn't ask you this before, but. Oh, well, I mean, if, if you guys like space content and you're not already following space at Messier, follow him because you're awesome. And uh, <laughs> you, you can jump on over to my account too. <laughs> if you yeah, like. I shout out Kirsten more than maybe I should. So on TikTok, go over <laughs> to Kirsten's. Kirsten is a much more, um, it's it's got a lot more meat to it when it comes to actual um, astronomical like facts and education. It's really educational, so really really fun account to follow. That's at Astro Kirsten. That's awesome. All right, well, Kirsten, I don't want to leave, but episode's over. I really I've loved this time. <laughs> um, enjoy your afternoon, whatever. It's nighttime here, and thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. My pleasure. Thank you. Roger, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. That was definitely an e-cooking.